think we're recording. All right, welcome everybody to Hebrew Club. Glad to see everybody. And we are today going to start on Psalm 32, which will get us into some very interesting Hebrew and uh, actually a really interesting psalm. This is the second of our penitential psalms. first one we did last week was Psalm 6. So you'll be able to see some similarities between the way this psalm precedes and proceeds uh, and Psalm 6 as well. Um, you'll see some similar themes here, <clears throat> um, but also, you know, maybe a few differences as well. So we're going to start out with verse 1 and talk a little bit about it, because even that already starts to present some difficulties. So verse 1 goes, Let David maskil ashrei nesui pesha kesui chata'a. Let David... Again, we usually uh, translate this of David, a lament of authorship, but it could be for David or concerning David. A maskil. This is one of those famous musical terms that no one knows uh, what it is, but there's like, if you go to a commentary, they'll talk about a page of stuff about what it could be. Um, <clears throat> remember, maskil comes from the Hebrew sakal, to be wise or to be prudent, and so some suggest that this is a psalm of instruction or a psalm of teaching. Some say uh, it's an indication of the intricacy of the psalm and a number of other ideas. We really don't know what it is referring to. But there's a number of psalms that have that maskeel, maybe ten psalms or so, that have that in it. <clears throat> All right, so if you can solve that problem, there's a Ph.D. thesis right there. Ashrei. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the other famous psalm that has Ashrei at the beginning? One. Psalm 1, right? This is the second psalm that has it. Um, notice that it is in construct, plural form, and that's the form that it occurs from. The, uh, the Esher is the supposed original form, but you don't find that in the Bible. You find Asherah. So it's in construct with the next word. No, a lot of translations translate, blessed is whatever, like in Psalm 1, blessed is the man. But it, others suggest that its function is more kind of exclamatory, like, oh, how blessed the man. See, so that gives it a different force, and I kind of like that. Um, especially in this context, it seems fitting as well to have a little more exclamatory nuance to it. Notice the next word, nesui, is a little unusual. It's actually from a very common word, nasa, nun, samik, nun, sin, aleph to lift up. But this form is a call passive participle and the yud uh, is a is it, it's behaving as if it is a third hey yud form. Sometimes the lamed aleph verbs and the lamed hey verbs overlap. And here's one case. It's not that uh, uncommon. So normally instead of a yud you have an aleph there. Right? So it's behaving as if it's nun sin, sin aleph. I mean sin hey. And so you get that original yud coming back. And um, same thing with kesui. You can see it a little more clearly. The root then is from kasa, to cover. And remember the hey on third hey verbs is always this phony hey. It was originally a third yud. So that you see that yud coming back when you add the consonantal endings to the call perfect form. I don't know if you guys are following what I'm saying here, but if you can remember kasa. So, for example, I covered would be kasiti. That yud comes back as the third root letter. So here in the passive participle, the yud comes back. And that's what you're seeing here. So, uh, oh, 
how blessed the one who is covered, I mean, the one who is forgiven. Nasa is a common word for, for, to forgive or to lift away. Um, who is lifted up or who is forgiven in regards to Pesha, to transgression, and covered, Chata'a, in respect to sin. Alright? Um, so, notice, I mean, you see a lot of these psalms, the syntax is kind of unusual. You don't see it a lot here. Two passive participles. Um, and notice the euphony, the sound that it gives. Nesui Pesha Kesui Chata'a. Like maybe that's why the Nasui takes the form that it does for the sake of the sound. Does anyone have any questions about verse 1? Yeah. Um, first, uh, Will. Is this uh, Nasui, is that in construct form? It's, um, as it is here, you can tell that it's in construct because of the schwa underneath the nun. Normally it would be Nasui, but now it's Nesui and Kesui. So yes, they're both in construct. So it's literally the one who is lifted up of transgression and covered of sin. But again, remember, you're always asking yourself, what's the relationship between the genitive and the construct? And the best way to then translate it rather than just a simple of. Okay? Chris? That was my question. Okay. Would it be in respect to translation? Okay. Um, with, with regard to the in respect to, well, that was odd. <clears throat> with regard to that same thing, um, the, uh, oh, wait, Okay. Yes. Whatever that is, is there a, a, something significant the Masoretes are trying to do with the way that the, those two words relate to each other versus the second pair? Um, notice that even in the second pair, you have kind of a linking accent there, and so I don't know if it, it it's just the way that they're in both of them. They're saying that these words are closely related, and that's kind of as far as I can go with it. Whether it affects the pronunciation of the words. I don't know, but notice that uh, the Pesha does have a dogish in the Pe, Nesui. Uh, and so I think that it's indicating a particular way of, tr- of pronouncing the words together. But no, nothing of significance, okay. yeah. Because they're both constructs, we would say. Okay, any other questions on verse 1? <clears throat> All right. Verse 2, Vashrei, um, Ashrei, Adam lo yachshov. Yahweh lo avon, ve'en be'rucho remiyah. Oh, how blessed the man, okay, not does he, uh, yachshov is a um, call imperfect from chashav, and it means to impute or to reckon. Okay, so, oh, how blessed the man, and notice the subject, Yahweh does not reckon to him avon, guilt or sin. So notice that, again, very common in Hebrew poetry, you have certain elements of a sentence left out. What did I leave out in that translation? You might expect. Oh, how blessed the man Yahweh does not impute to him transgression. The relative pronoun, the asher. See? So in better English, oh, how blessed the man to whom Yahweh does not impute transgression. See, notice that you do have the resumptive pronoun, but you don't have the asher. Right, does that make sense? Okay, so again, oh, how blessed the man to whom Yahweh does not impute or reckon avon, sin, or transgression, or guilt. Ve'en, and there is not berucho, um, 
let's go to Remya first. <clears throat> There's no um, fraud. Remya is a word for like fraud or um, I don't know what are, what's another word like that. Deceit. Deceit, fraud, those kinds of words. Yeah. Um, ruach, you probably know as the basic law spirit, but here notice ruach can also mean uh, you know the most inward kind of your mind or your uh, you know the deep seat of where your emotion and intelligence is. So a good I don't know what the best English gloss would be, and there is not in his inmost being there is no fraud or deceit in his inmost being. All right. Um, so notice you, what's interesting about it, kind of just to talk a little theologically, is you're moving from this forgiveness to this kind of inward cleansing as well. See, there is no remia, fraud, inside of him, in his inmost being. Um, so David seems to be making a comment on the depth of uh, what forgiveness means, what it means to be forgiven for someone. You know, so he has an outer view and then moves to an inner view at the end of verse 2. That's worth kind of pondering or thinking about a little more. Okay, does anyone have any questions through verse 2? Yes? Uh, he may have done this already. Could you parse that ashri again? Yes, this is actually a, a plural construct form and you only see it in this form. You don't see it otherwise. It's always wherever it occurs in construct with the next word. And so what do you do with it? Well, a lot of translations just say, um, blessed is the man, so they kind of make it an assertion. And I would suggest to go with some, what some other commentaries do and suggest that there's more of an exclamatory nuance, that he's kind of expressing uh, how great this is, so that I would translate, oh, how blessed the man, or blessed is the man. Um, so that it's not just kind of a straight assertion. He's not just stating a fact, but he's he is excited about it or happy about it. Does that make sense? So it's, it is a noun, though? Or? Yeah, it's a noun. The, uh, if you look it up in like BDB, you will see Escher with the asterisk, which means that the Escher form doesn't occur in the Bible, at least. Okay. Yeah. Good. Anything else? All right, verse 3. Ki hecharashti balu atzamai, beshagati kol hayom. All right, uh, I'll go to verse four as well. Ki yomam v'layla tikbad alai yadeka, nepak l'shadi becharvonei kites sela. All right, now notice that something really interesting happens. I think in the middle of this psalm, you have this key, and you know, you, first thing you ask yourself is. How do you translate it? What's the function of the key here? Because um, um, causal doesn't really make a lot of sense. See, in other words, um, this is not the reason that forgiveness is such a blessing. So key can have other functions as well. Um, what I think that he might be doing here is representing a thought that he had that he wants us as the readers to ponder or think about. So one uh, guy who studied these key clauses suggests that key actually has this function that it represents the thought that someone has. And so especially in poetry, you'll see these keys that aren't logically causal like you see here. So in other words, it'd be like um, if, you, if you're writing and then you want to represent a thought 
that you have about something. You put it in, in italics, you know. Um, and so that could be what he's doing here. So in other words, he's thinking back to a thought that he had previously. So he's going back in time to this experience. And I think that that will become clearer when we get to the latter half of the song. So it's like, um, here's, what he, here, here's the thought that he wants us to think. When I was silent... Okay, Hecharash is from a field perfect from Kharash. Balu is from the root Bala to wear out. Right? My bones wore out. So Ki Hecharashti Balu Atzmai. So he's thinking back. Um, I was silent. My bones wore out. So contemplate this. See, Beshaagati with my groaning. Groan. This is a noun. Shaaga with my groaning. Kol Hayom all day. Alright? Um, when you see this hecherashti, silence, how do you interpret its meaning? What does he mean by silent, when I was silent? Kind of how we categorize the psalm will probably influence. He's not confessing. Okay, anything. notice how you interpret silence, not as, well, he never said anything, but in the sense of he was. Notice how you're assuming, ah, He's bothered by some sin and wouldn't confess it. Even though he's never said that. He has just said, oh, how blessed is forgiveness. Well, notice that you're already operating within this world of sin and forgiveness and what sin and guilt does physically and spiritually to a person. See, so you're able to see right away, oh, when he says he was silent, that means he didn't admit his sin. He wasn't confessing it maybe even to himself. And so he's pondering that. When I was silent, Atzamai, my bones wore out. In other words... How would you understand that? My bones wore out. Okay, see, notice how you're already thinking, well, it doesn't mean actually his bones became thin, like if you don't have enough calcium. But he's talking, you know, about maybe kind of almost in the synecdoche for his physical self was actually exhausted, see? So it's a way of describing your physical state in this when he was in this situation, this spiritually silent situation. See, Notice how you guys are then understanding the world into which the, the psalmist... You're fitting this to a certain world, a certain understanding. And notice that we tend to identify with the beliefs of the psalmist and maybe even have had the same experience, which informs how we're understanding the psalmist. See, we're kind of matching his experience to others that we have probably personally had, see. So when I was silent, my bones wore out with my shagati all day, with my groaning, or in my groaning all day. So again, most of us would probably interpret that groaning as a kind of an internal groaning, right? A silent groaning, a, a, a one that doesn't necessarily express itself uh, because he has just said he was kind of silent as to his sin. All right, does that make sense? Um, any, any questions about verse 3? Here we have another key clause. Again, um, he's, he's representing a thought that he had. Yo mom, what's that am um ending on yo mom? What's that? We put a directive, hey, on it's yo mama. <laughs> <laughs> like all day during the day. Good, yeah. So how's it, what does that am um ending do? It makes the noun an adverb. See? So that... Uh, Hebrew has a number of strategies for making adverbs, and one is to add that am ending. Remember, so um, you have the word chain, which means grace. You 
makes the adverb chinam, freely. Um, Reek means empty. Rekam, vainly or in vain. So a number of words uh, do that. But notice you can't do that with Lila because of the feminine ending. So you just, it's just the noun, but you understand it as an adverb, adverb as well. See? Day and night, your hand was heavy. Tikbad was heavy on me. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Now notice, you have, this is something I want you guys to keep in mind as we go through these psalms. We have a switch from perfect to imperfect here, and then in the rest of verse 4, go back to perfect with nepak. And uh, you'll see this kind of switching in poetry a lot more frequently than in prose. Commonly, when you want to uh, indicate a state, the most common way to indicate a state is with the perfect. But this shows you kavad means to be heavy. Here you can do it in an imperfect form or a prefix form as well. And notice that I translated it in the past. Why? Well, because it seems as if he's reflecting on a past thought. Right? Um, uh, so that's why we kind of translate it most easily in the past. Now you could make a case for translating all of these verbs in the present if he's... Actually, if you want to make it more... Um, colorful, more dramatic as a thought. Here's my thought and I'm going to say it as it is. Uh, I am silent. My bones are worn out from my groaning. See? Day and night, my hand, your hand is heavy on me. So, see, that's the actual thought that he was thinking at the time. It's the difference between if you describe a movie to someone, you can use past tense as to what happened, or if you're kind of really excited about it, you can switch to present tense. Uh, same way when, if you notice baseball announcers when they're reporting a game, they use present tense. Why? It's, that's kind of the way we do it in, in, uh, for reported speech when we want to be more colorful and separate the, uh, make the distance between us smaller. I mean, we have all kinds of reasons for doing that in English. So you're always judging in, in Hebrew translation, should I do that or not? Is that the function of the key clause? And I can't really answer that. Most translations just go with the past tense and keep keep it a little less dramatic, let's say. But I think you could make a case for doing it all present tense, as, as if representing, here's the thoughts I actually had in, the, in my own words. Does Hebrew poetry do like word pictures? So <coughs> verse 4, the subjects at the end and the Ali, the on me is actually in between yeah. the verb and the subject, so that it, it is it's like it's on him physically on the page. Is, is that See, I think so. You know, I mean, I think that's an interesting thought because, yeah, Hebrew can do a lot with, with that. So, day and night, it was heavy on me, your hand. And so, um, uh, I think you can make a case sometimes for the word order being done for specific reasons and that might be one of them. Yeah. Notice, when you, when you read a line like this, what are you assuming? I mean, what does he mean? Your hand was heavy on me. Okay. Okay. See, so you're kind of thinking, oh man, he's God is really making him feel guilty or something. See, or maybe he's interpreting some physical illness that he's having as the hand of God being heavy on. We really don't know. You have to kind of assume it. But notice, we're in this world of judgment for sin unconfessed, and so he's interpreting his experience. You know, looking back on it, as Yahweh's hand on him. Whatever it was, was he feeling this inner guilt? Was he actually in physical distress, 
See, is that what God was doing? It's kind of a... Notice all the assumptions that are going into how we understand that line. Um, this is completely speculation, but if, uh, um, if the Ashrae is more of a, uh, an exclamatory thing, uh, like you were saying earlier, uh, like, almost like it's a surprise, like it's a yeah, new thing, it's like, a great oh, thing. lesson yeah. is forgiveness. Right. Like, I didn't see it coming. Right. It reads to me like a real, uh, to use a loose word, a real unfectum kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's afraid to confess mm-hmm. because of God's wrath, mm-hmm. but he feels God's wrath at the same time mm-hmm. in himself because he's not confessing and right. he can't hold it inside of himself. See, so that you, you're kind of seeing a progression here. He starts out with the greatness of forgiveness, how great it is, which if you're going to write a sermon on this text would be a good way, way to think about it because in our day and age, forgiveness ain't that big of a deal. For him, it's, a, unless, it's only a big deal for a person when you have been experiencing guilt and you personally know what it means to be forgiven and you see so many people in our world who need forgiveness, they don't know how to get rid of their guilt. So then you can begin to see what the psalmist is undergoing here. So see, so he does, begins with that greatness, and now he goes back in time to, here's what my thinking was. I was silent. I was dying here. Your hand was heavy on me. And now notice that, that follow-up. Um, Lashadi, um, Lashad is this word for juice. My juice, Nepak. Here's a Nifal perfect from Hafak. My juice was turned. Okay. Becharvone. Kites. Um, charvon, or cheravon means drought. And here you have the plural. Whether the plural, you know, sometimes with abstract ideas you get these plural forms, and it's a plural not necessarily, a, you wouldn't translate it as droughts, but plural to emphasize the drought or the dryness. So my juice was turned into, into summer droughts, or summer drought. See, it's really picturesque. Um, especially if you lived in Kansas and know what it is not to have any rain. That's pretty dry. So, you know, it's like the life is really being sucked out of it. Does that make sense? Uh, any questions through verse 4? So is that like weeping or is it is general, is more general? Good question. I, I thought, when I see that word, Lashad, and again, it's a very rare word, I'm actually thinking of your, uh, in your body you have liquid and you're drying up. And so I think it's his way of saying, you know, physically I'm wasting away. I mean, it makes you think of a corpse. When they die, what happens? Immediately you start to shrink. You know, all your tissues shrink as the water and all your fluids, you start losing it. And I think that that's what he's kind of describing here. At least that's what comes to my mind. See, so his, his state was one of... Uh, not health, ill health, uh, headed towards death. You know, those are the kinds of things that that he seems to be evoking here. All right, verse five. Chatati odiaka nasata avon chatati sela. Now notice. Um, I think that Amarti in the second line can govern both the beginning, that line and the line that follows. So, my sin I will confess to you is still a thought that he had in the past. See, so he goes through, this is, he's thinking, he wants us to ponder his state. Now he says, my sin I will make known to you. This is a hip feel from Rada. And my iniquity, now notice he switches from a prefix form to the PL perfect from Kasa. 
And I think I would still translate it as, will not hide. See, so, my sin I will make known to you, and my iniquity I will not hide. In other words, this is the idea that he had. It came to him, I need to confess. I thought, Amarta. I will confess, Ale, concerning. Notice that this is the form that you usually use before you add a suffix to the al. In Hebrew, in poetry, you see it sometimes alone. Instead of just the al, it's just an alternate form for al. I thought, I will confess, that's from yada, a hip feeling perfect, I will confess concerning my transgression to Yahweh. So notice that verse 5 is, is, I think that first line of verse 5 and the second line are in the same time situation. My sin I will make known to you, and my iniquity I will not hide. I thought, I will confess concerning my transgression to the Lord. See? Uh, and now the, the denouement. Ve'ata, and as for you, nasata. You forgave the avon chatati sela. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Or you lifted up, maybe that's a better way. You lifted up or took away the guilt of my sin. The hand imagery and the yeah. So notice, right, so notice at the end of verse 5, you're right at the brink of the expressions of verses 1 and 2. See, you forgave it, then, you know, oh, how blessed is the forgiven person. Um, it seems like so often that turning point yeah. is the wa'ata. Yeah. So see, right, and notice, yeah, and see, notice in Hebrew you see the emphasis, the ata, you don't need it here, so in a sense there's an emphasis. Uh, and he puts it all on him, not me. So it's as if to say, there's nothing I could do. You had to forgive it. And and so notice that what's implied here is what comes along with forgiveness. Um, restoration, in a sense. See, life, in a sense. Um, there's all kinds of things that come along with forgiveness that the psalmist is appreciative of and joyful about. Okay? Very good. Any other questions through five? We will stop here and we will finish this up. Went a little slower this time than usual, but I thought it was warranted because of the great song. So we'll finish it up and see what happens in six through eleven. Thank you.